0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. We're in the middle of
1: the letter number 17. We're on top of page 300. And um, he explains... Explain the verse in Tehillim King David writes in Psalms that the mitzvot are very broad and this is a very strange expression to describe mitzvot, you want to say mitzvot are exalted, mitzvot are great um, the verse starts out everything in this world has an end but your mitzvot are broad in other words they are infinite, they so why does he use an expression broad, And why does he say mitzvah in the singular, instead of mitzvah in the plural, if he's referring to the 613 mitzvah? So he says he's referring to specifically to one mitzvah, one particular mitzvah, and that's the mitzvah of tzedakah. What's the ultimate mitzvah? We say Hashem fulfills all 613 mitzvahs. He practices what he preaches. But what is Hashem's mitzvah? It's attributed directly to Hashem. The ultimate mitzvah, that's mitzvah, which is Hashem's mitzvah, is the mitzvah of tzedakah. Hashem is constantly and continuously creating us, sustaining us, which is a pure act of tzedakah. It's a gratuitous act of kindness. Real tzedakah is when you don't deserve it. There's nothing you can do to earn it, and to deserve it. If there's a reason why I'm giving tzedakah, then there's a reason. Then in a certain sense, you've earned it. But the ultimate tzedakah is what Hashem Hashem creates us, sustains us. And the ultimate tzedakah, He explains, will be when in the future, in the world to come, Hashem is going to reveal to us the most intense revelation. That this world, in this physical world, Hashem is going to reveal His infinite self. And it will be so intense that it will be even more intense and more profound than the revelation that's in the Garden of Eden. That the soul's experience in the Garden of Eden. We know that one moment in the afterlife, in the, the soul after 120 years, one moment the soul can experience more pleasure, more ecstasy than anything the soul can experience living a full life. Even if you live for a thousand years. And you experience every possible delight. It wouldn't even come close to the pleasure and the ecstasy that the soul experiences After, as, when it moves on to its eternal reward as it basks in the glory of Hashem, the light. It's indescribable. And yet the souls, the most exalted souls of the patriarchs and of Moses that have been in the Garden of Eden for the thousands of years, over 3,000 years, And every day they've experienced an elevation, and three times a day. A new revelation, a new experience of ecstasy and pleasure. And yet, their souls are like parked in the Garden of Eden. They can't wait to come back to return into this world, into the body, during the resurrection. Resurrection is the ultimate reward. So it's not a downgrade, it's an upgrade. How is it possible that the soul coming back to the body? This is an upgrade. After all, the pure spiritual bliss that the soul experiences every day in the Garden of Eden, the most exalted souls, and they are going to come back and return into this world. They're going to be resurrected, and in this only because in this world they're going to experience a revelation of godliness. that's way beyond anything the soul can possibly. Experience in the Garden of Eden. That means there will be such an intense revelation of godliness in this physical world, in the body. This is completely counterintuitive, it's completely revolutionary, it completely defies any logic. How is it possible the body will experience such an intense revelation of godliness that the soul cannot experience in the Garden of Eden? And the explanation is that this is, as the expression says, that we're talking about a level of godliness, God's infinite self, which completely transcends, the, um, completely transcends our frame of reference, the whole frame of reference of the universe. This level will be revealed. And this level will be revealed in the physical as the expression goes, that any thing that spirituality is not a vessel to, cannot tune into, because it's way beyond it. No matter how fine-tuned your vessel is, no matter how sensitive your vessel is, no matter how spiritual and subtle an ego is, no matter how refined you are, the most exquisitely fine-tuned receptacle cannot receive it because it's infinite, just like a million, a billion, a zillion, a, tr- a trillion, a zillion, is not one iota closer to infinity than one, because it's a whole different category, it's a whole different level. So the f- most finest, most fine-tuned being, fine-tuned being is not, is not a receptacle to receive the infinite Hashem Himself. The, then the physical is not a contradiction to it. Just like the spiritual cannot receive it, the physical is not a contradiction, so God could reveal Himself in the physical. And not only God, we discussed, not only God will will reveal Himself in the physical, but specifically in the physical. The soul has to come leave the heavens and find Hashem only in this world, only when the soul will return to the body and be resurrected, only then will the soul be able to receive Him. Because where is Hashem's infinite essence revealed in the physical? Precisely because the physical has no features of its own. It has absolutely no redeeming factor, there's no features Therefore, it's not a contradiction. Therefore, it could contain Hashem's essence, Hashem's infinite self. Because it's so obvious that it's only because Hashem chose to reveal himself. Just like the mitzvah. Why is the mitzvah the physical, the most important aspect of the mitzvah, the physical to do physically do the mitzvah? It's not the meditation and not the spirituality and not the intent. It's physically doing the mitzvah. Again, because precisely for that reason, because the physical is nothing on its own. What makes it so precious? What makes it so holy? Because Hashem chose it. It's clear that the advantage of it is because this is what Hashem chose. Versus the spiritual world, because the spiritual world has a certain quality and has a certain greatness of its own, it covers up and obscures the infinite light. It's like a child, a child, an adult, with a parent loves... So you can confuse and think the parent loves the child because of the qualities of the child. The child is brilliant, the kid's no longer a child. The son is brilliant, or the daughter and has all these wonderful qualities. That's why the father loves the child. But when a child, father or parent loves a baby, why do you love a baby? Baby's completely dependent on you. Baby just constantly consumes you. You don't love a baby because it's brilliant. Uh, my son, the professor. My son, the Einstein. My son, the billionaire. My son, the uh, my my daughter. The you just love them. They're babies. You love them unconditionally. Where do you see that unconditional love in the baby more so than the adult? Precisely because there's no other qualities. So it's clear. It's very clear that it's an unconditional love. So too, where do you see God's infinite self? It's the physical, the physically doing the mitzvahs and the physical and the body when the soul will come back into the body that God is going to reveal His infinite self in the body. That's why the soul is to come back to the body. And that's the ultimate act of tzedak. You talk about gratuitous kindness. There's nothing that we can really do to really deserve this and to earn this. Hashem to reveal his infinite self in the physical world during the era of resurrection, which the rabbis call Olam Habah, the ultimate, the world to come, which ultimately refers to the ultimate reward, which is the 13th principle of faith, which comes after Mashiach, which is the, princ- the resurrection, which is unique to, the, to Judaism, the belief in resurrection. Everyone believes in the eternity of the soul, but to believe in the eternity of the body, that the soul will return back to the body, and that this will be the ultimate reward, and this will be the ultimate, most intense revelation of godliness that the souls of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses who have been in the Garden of Eden for thousands of years must come back in order to to experience God's infinite self. This is the ultimate act of tzedakah. But although it's an ultimate act of tzedakah, God created the world in such a way that He's interactive. How do we achieve this level? Through our tzedakah. The says that God is interactive, so God chose. it's an act of tzedakah, that God should be affected by our actions. What connection do we have? There's no connection. There's nothing we can do to really arouse or to touch God in any way, shape, or form. But God invested himself and God chose to be aroused and affected by our actions. So when we give tzedakah and we fill our hearts with love and compassion and mercy, this awakens within God, this awakens Hashem tzedakah, which the principle will remain and be revealed in the world to come. And the rewards, the fruits, the dividends is what we benefit and Nashra often benefit today. That it will translate in spiritual reward and in, even in physical reward. It will physically be rewarded with health and success and everything Everything good in life. But the principle is is way is is preserved for the world to come. And it's only then that we will this principle will be revealed, which is the revelations of Hashem's infinite self in the physical world. And now he's going to explain why is it. What's the difference between the life, the revelation of the life, of divine life in the Garden of Eden? What's the essential difference between? the Garden of Eden and the level of revelation during the resurrection. Why the difference between the two revelations?
0: For the manifestation and the radiation and Gan Eden are of the level called Mamala Kalam the light which permeates all worlds. That is the muted divine life force that contracts descends and diminishes according to the receptive capacity of a particular creative being, which it is to permeate.
1: Basically, two different life forces. Two different ways, the way Hashem gives us life. There is a life force where Hashem fills all the worlds. Where Hashem enclothes Himself. In other words, just like when you Wear clothes. You fit into the clothes. So Hashem gives a light that's custom-made, it's tailor-made to that entity. It's the exact energy custom-made to this specific entity. How much they can absorb, how much they can uh, receive. It's called Hashem fills all the world. Just like in the body, there's the energy of the soul, where the soul encloses itself in the body, like the soul encloses itself in the mind. Its ability to comprehend, it clothes itself in the mind, it perfectly fits the brain. The soul's ability to comprehend perfectly fits the brain, specifically the three brains, the the right brain and the left brain and the limbic brain, the three capacities of the soul, the creative ability and the analytical ability and the decision-making ability. All of these are customized to the brains. The brains are different. The right brain is different. The left brain is different. And the energy of the soul encloses itself. It's married to to this organ. It it connects with this organ in a very specific way. Like a teacher and a student. The teacher is... His intent is to teach. And he encloses himself in a student. He engages in... It's very specific. It's very personal. And it's very individual. His intent is to deliver something to the student. So the student is the receptacle and the teacher is the giver. There's a giving and there's a receiving and the two are connected and they interact with each other. And therefore they're also affected by each other. Because it encloses itself. It's personal. It's specific. It's individual. They connect with each other on a personal way. Therefore... They interact with each other. The teacher, the giver, the teacher interacts with the receiver. The receiver also affects the giver. It affects what's enclosed inside the clothes. So the, there's an interaction between the clothes and, the, and the, uh, what's inside the clothes. And they're tailor-made and custom-made for each other. That's the level we call mamalikalam. Then you have a level that he calls sevav kalam. Seyv kalam... Where Hashem transcends the world. And the analogy is it's like light. Light has many, many effects. We couldn't exist without the sun, that light. But the light is not here to have any of these effects. The light is just being itself, it's radiating light. If it's a garbage dump, it's a garbage dump. Am I lighting up a palace, Mazel Tov? But my, the intent of the light is not to light up the palace. Or there's no difference to the light if it's lighting up the palace or it's lighting up lighting up a, a dump. The same. The light can heat something. The light can melt something. The light can solidify something. The same light has opposite effects. The light is not here to have an effect. The light is just it is it is it shines. It's here. And whatever effect it happens to have is automatic. It's not because its intent is to go into the palace and to light up the palace. It, it, the palace doesn't exist. The garbage dump doesn't exist as far as the light it, it goes. It, it, the light shines whether, the, whether you're, you're going to benefit from it. You're not going to benefit from it. The light shines. It just is. And it ha- its effect is, is automatic. And therefore, the light is not affected whether you receive, you don't receive. It's not like a teacher and the student. The teacher and the student does not work that way. <laughs> the teacher doesn't just light <laughs> and the student receives the knowledge. It doesn't work that way. The teacher has to enclose himself in the student. He has to connect with the student. He has to enter into the mind of the student. He, he's a, therefore, he's affected. He's shaped by the student. Just like when you wear clothes, you're, you're, you're shaped by the clothes. You're, the clothes define you. You have to fit into the clothes. If to get into the clothes, you're limited by the clothes, you're defined by it, you're limited by it, it it contains you, the clothes contain you. Light is not contained. The palace doesn't contain the light, even when the light affects change, it's not contained by it. For example, electricity. Electricity shines. There's electricity. You generate electricity. Now it depends on the vessel. If I plug in a refrigerator to electricity, it's going to cool. If I plug in an air conditioning, it's going to blow air. If I plug in a TV or a computer, whatever you plug in. Now, does it affect the electricity? It doesn't matter to the electricity whether it's lighting up the the light bulb or whether it's uh, activating the TV or whether it's activating the refrigerator or the computer or any appliance you have. Electricity is the same. Electricity is a current. It flows. Is generating, it's there. You plug in, you benefit, good. Depends on what you plug in. That's the benefit, the effect you're going to have. But it's not the electricity, it's not sitting and thinking, okay, let me, me, the electricity that lights up the the bulb is no different than the electricity that affects the refrigerator. But with the teacher and student, it's not the same. The way the student teaches the bright student is not the way the way the teacher has to teach the mediocre student, not the way the teacher has to teach the difficult student. It's custom-made. It's tailored. It's a, different, it's a different influence. It's a different way of speaking. It's a different way of approaching. It's a different way of connecting. It's not like the soul is in the body and the brain is like the refrigerator and the, the, the heart is like the the, the, uh, the computer and... And, no, the soul encloses itself into the the soul's ability to comprehend and clothes itself into the brain and is embodied by it. It's custom-made, it's tailor-made. That's what he calls mamale God fills all the world. It's a specific energy, a specific ability that perfectly matches the brain. And the brain receives it, and the soul fills the brain, and it's a perfect match, and they both affect each other. Mind-body connection. And the same is with every organ in the body. Every organ contains the energy. The energy encloses itself into the organ. It's specific, it's unique. It's not like the sun shining, the electricity just running, and whatever you happen to plug in, the more sensitive you are, the more you receive. That's not the way it works. As the rabbis say, King David says, "Baruch in navshias Hashem, my soul." Psalm four, one hundred and four. My soul blesses God. So this, the rabbis say, just like the soul fills the body, so to God fills all the worlds. So what are the rabbis saying? That don't think that the divine energy is like that electricity that's running. And depending how sensitive you are, the more sensitive you are, the more you can take the more energy you can handle so a tree which is a which is more sensitive than a stone receives the energy to grow, and uh, an animal which is more sensitive than a tree receives a, high, a higher form of energy. it roams around, it feels, and a human sentient, a human being that's a higher form of, uh, more delicate, more sensitive. Is receives a, a deeper level of energy. Receives the ability to imagine and to think and to be conscious. And the angels, which are sublime, and the souls, disembodied souls, are a higher level. And each world, depending on their sensitivity, it's like the difference in the refrigerator and the and the air conditioning and different appliances. But the current is all the same. It's Not the way it is. It's not what the rabbis say. The rabbis say just like the soul fills the body. And how do we know the soul fills the body? Because we see the effect. Not only that the soul has the effect in the body, we see the effect the body has on the soul. So The fact that the soul is affected by the body means that the, the body contains the soul. The body is a vessel for the soul. The soul is enclosed in the body. It's not just electricity that's just passing through and it's no difference to the electricity whether the fridge is on, the fridge is off, you're dead, you're alive, you're operating, you're not operating, the, the electricity just flows. The light is shining. It doesn't matter if it's a palace, if the shutters are closed, if it's a dump, if, it's, if the clouds are out, it doesn't matter doesn't work that way because if that was the case the sun the light is not affected by the, what receives it the electricity is not affected by the appliance that's connected to it. we see with the human body that the soul is connected there's a body mind connection so from that we see clearly that the soul encloses itself in the body that's why the soul is trapped in the body you can't discard your body oh you know I'm going to take a walk today so let me let me take a walk to another body let me disembody myself from this body and I'll just attach myself to a different body it doesn't work that way your soul isn't clothed in the body it's captured by the body it's held by the body you can't just walk away it's defined by the body it's in the body it's engaged in the body and as long as we're engaged in the body hopefully for a full 120 years in good health the soul is connected the soul isn't in the body and the soul is affected by the body if your body hurts, the soul hurts. Soul is in pain. There's a body mind connection. It's almost a miraculous connection because each one affects the other. That the soul affects the body, that goes without saying, but the body affects the soul. So we see from there that the soul isn't clothed in the body, it's contained by the body. And the rabbis say, Barchi Nafi HaShem, just like the soul fills the human body, so too from my soul, from my flesh, I know God, that God is the same way. The divine energy fills all the worlds. That means that there is a specific energy that God concentrated Himself. As He's going to explain now, through the Tzimtzum, God concentrated Himself and gave a specific energy which perfectly matches each level, each realm, each world, which is contained in the world. Just like the different levels between the inner, inner, or inorganic and the organic life and the animal life and the human life and the and the spiritual life, so too every world contains a specific, unique divine energy. And the divine energy is con- captured and contained and enclosed in that world. And it's a perfect match, perfectly customized, tailor-made, perfect match. And there's an interaction. Because this, on this level the Divine Energy's intent is to teach, like the teacher and the student is to give life, to sustain life to this unique, specific entity. So that's the level that he calls Malaklam. And this explains all the worlds in the different levels, so many different levels. Why are there so many different levels? With different sensitivities and different abilities to capture Divine Light? Because they're so many levels of the divine energy. Hashem concentrated Himself. Like we learned in the second part of the Tanya at Great Lent, God created the world with words and letters. Words and letters take an emotion, a raw emotion that are beyond words, and it is expressed in a multitude of words and letters. So the words and letters take this energy and channel it. So many different words and so many different letters. Each word of each letter and each combination becomes, creates a different entity. So the divine energy is channeled into multitude of energies. Everything in this world has its own unique Hebrew name, has its own unique energy. It's not just a, 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 an energy, electricity that flows, the light of the sun that flows, and, and it's no difference to the light. Depending on your sensitivity, if you're a refrigerator, if you're an air conditioner, if you're a light bulb, you're just going to light up accordingly. No, it's not that way. Hashem created the world with His words. Hashem means, meaning Hashem is speaking. Hashem is communicating. Hashem is channeling His energy through His own words. He's channeling this infinite energy. He's channeling it through through the Tzimtzum to channel it and filter it and channel it. It should be customized and tailor-made. Every entity in this universe has a Hebrew name, which is the divine channel, which channels this energy to this particular entity. That's what he calls mamalikla. And there are infinite levels of mamalikla. As we learned in the first chapter, in the second part of the Tanya, you listen to the lessons in Tanya.com, how many combinations there are. Out of the Hebrew alphabet, there's infinite combinations you can make from the alphabet combination of letters, and each letter combined with all the other letters, and backwards and forwards, and numerical value. By the time you're done with all the combinations, you end up with a universe, our universe, which is so infinite. And every single detail has a name, a Hebrew name, has a unique energy that's customized. The stone, the the tree, everything has its own unique name. Fish, everything that exists. and the spiritual realms as well. So this is what he calls mamale God fills all the worlds.
0: This diminishment of the divine life force is an evolving progression from one realm to another by means of immense contractions. As was taught by our sages of blessed memory, the world to come, which here means Gan was created by the letter Yud, a letter limited and contracted to a single point. This letter signifies the level of supernal chokmah, the first of the ten spirit of the world of Atzidut, which is referred to as the higher Eden, that surpasses the level of Gan Eden, as much as Gan implies only a garden derived from Eden, and not Eden itself.
1: We see clearly, the rabbis say that God created the world to come with a letter. The world to come is with a yud, and our world is with a hey, as we learned earlier in the previous letters. But, but it's a letter. And what's a yud? A yud represents a dot, a tzimtzum, a contraction. God contracted himself. So the light, God contracted his light. He contracted his energy. It's a specific energy that's custom, tailor-made and customized to the world of the, of the Garden of Eden spiritual delights and the bliss and the sublime pleasures of the world of Garden of Eden, this is all created and generated through this divine light, which is represented by the Yud. So it's a tremendous symptom for God that is infinite, and for Him to contract Himself, to create, even the most sublime world is a Yud, the highest level of Gan the highest level of the Garden of Eden, of the eternal life, it's a Yud. So we see it's a specific letter. And this is the first, uh, the first of the ten sefirot, the first level of consciousness, which is the supernal chachma, which is called Eden. And Gan Eden means the garden that comes out of Eden, that flows out of the, uh, the river that flows out of the Eden. So the Eden is higher than the river. It says the river flows from the Eden, and this river waters... The garden. What is the garden of Aden? So, Eden is, refers to the level of Chachmiz. And that's the beginning of consciousness. And from there, the river flows out of the Eden and waters the garden. Because from the level of Chachmiz is going to say that leads to the level of Bina, which is the analytical, which is the comprehension, the understanding, which brings to, leads to pleasure. Because what, do, what does, where does a person get ultimate pleasure? When you comprehend something, when you grasp something when you, grasp something, when you truly grasp something, you truly get something. It truly clicks and you get it and you grasp it and you understand it. The pleasure is indescribable. But it's only when you fully grasp it. That's when the pleasure is revealed. Of course there's a tremendous intense pleasure in the creative process. The eureka moment is intensely pleasurable. The truth is, the entrepreneur, the creative genius, is much more exciting than the analytical mind. Even though the analytical mind in a certain way is much more impressive because he can break something down, he fully comprehends it. But the energy, the excitement, the pure excitement, the creative energy is more exciting. If you had a choice, you have two teachers. One teacher was just a brilliant creative mind. Everything he looks at in a fresh, creative way makes you think in ways seeing things in ways you would never, in a million years, no matter how brilliant you are, you would never even come to look at it that way. And the excitement the, that's generated is much more intense. It's a very intense excitement. But on the other hand, the ultimate excitement is when you get to the dry analytical, when a person is truly grasps the idea, and he can write volumes on the idea, and he can articulate it, and he can express it, because the creative genius doesn 't always have the language and the words it 's just the, cre- the, the the dynamic creative dynamic which is so exciting but it 's not necessarily yet captured in words you can 't yet use it you, you don 't fully comprehend it you 're like you 're like in the birth of a universe you 're witnessing you know imagine those who were there with Einstein when they came up with uh, the theory of relativity and and neil bohr and that whole that whole time period when they were the revolution, the, the, the whole novel way of looking at reality, there was a tremendous excitement in the year. But what we understand today and what we, how we comprehend it, now we fully comprehend these concepts, there's a different type of excitement. It's a fully revealed excitement when you fully grasp something and it becomes yours, you own it, you understand it, you put it into words, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, there's a structure, you've engineered the concept. Fully engineer the concept, it becomes a, a, a living place you can live in, you can occupy, because you own it, you've built it. Versus the architect, it's just the creative genius, it's just this, this seminal idea, it's just the seed. So each one has its own unique excitement. There's the creative brain, the right brain, there's the left brain, and each one has its own unique source. So the beginning, the seminal consciousness, all begins with Chach. That's the yud. That's the dot. It's a dot, a revelation, first revelation of Godliness. But in order for there to be a conscious revelation of Godliness, there has to be a, like a yud, a tzimtzum, a complete contraction. God has to contract His infinite self in order to be able to direct this energy and channel it into words, into letters, into a specific energy, a direct energy and a specific energy. This is the beginning of the world of Mamale Kalama, where God fills all the world. Where this energy is enclosed, is enclosed into the into in, in the world, and then that's called Eden, Eden. And then there's a river that flows from Eden. This idea, which is like a trickle, which is like a fountain, and then a wellspring. And this wellspring suddenly turns into a river, a roaring river, which is broad, which you can travel on. And this waters the Garden of Eden. So this is. From the level of Chachma, that flows into the level of Bina, which is the full comprehension, which is what gives the soul the delight, the pleasure, the ecstasy. When the soul in the Garden of Eden experiences and fully comprehends these levels of godliness, that it's capable of comprehending, this gives the soul indescribable pleasure. That's the world of Gan Eden, that's the Garden of Eden
0: inasmuch as Gan implies only a garden derived from Eden and not Eden itself and which devolves and becomes vested in all the worlds i.e. chokmah descends and vests itself in all the worlds in order to continuously create and animate them as it is written you have made them all with chokmah i.e. all created beings derived from the sechira of chokmah it is likewise written and Chochmah animates, again, indicating that this sefirah of Chochmah animates all the world.
1: So the verse says that the substance <coughs> of everything is made with Chochmah. That's why oil is compared to Chochmah, and today we find oil in everything. Shale, stone, there's nothing you can't find oil from. You can press oil off from anything. Because everything has Chochmah. Everything is... The substance is created, everything is created, contains within it Chachm. And Chachm is what animates it. This is the life force. This is the beginning of consciousness. This is the window to the soul, the window to the subconscious. This is the the connection to the infinite. This is the, the transformation from the infinite into the finite, where God concentrates himself and in a way that it could be contained in a letter, where it could be, where his energy, infinite energy is channeled in a way that it could be contained. That's the spark of Chach, that's the creative spark, it's the beginning of consciousness, which of course connects and comes from the subconscious. That's why the creative idea feels like we have no idea where it comes from, it comes from seemingly out of nowhere, in left field, all of a sudden this idea pops into your head. I mean it doesn't come from nowhere, it came from within you. But it comes from within you, a place within you that you're not even aware of. You don't even you're not even aware it exists, subconscious. And suddenly there's like a sudden I am, a communication. And it comes in a form of, of a revelation, a startling revelation, not a completely unexpected revelation, a eureka moment that completely unexpected. Because it's coming from a place that's so far beyond your whole consciousness. And so consciousness is a very narrow the function of the brain people make a mistake people think the function of the brain is to receive information the function of the brain is actually to keep out information because reality is so infinite it's so vast it would just overwhelm us that's the principle when they try to when they hypnotize people in order to get information you know before the israelis before Entebbe, so they had to debrief all the French nationals that were released. You know, they made a selection. They released all the non-Jews and they kept all the Jews. Their intents intentions were quite clear. So the Israeli um, Israeli uh, secret service hypnotized them to get the lay of the airport because we absorb massive amounts of information. But our our mind, our brain, absorbs massive amounts of information. But we just couldn't handle it. On a conscious level, we couldn't handle it. It's like trying to fit the ocean through a faucet, a sink, a faucet. where just the pipes would burst. So the purpose of the brain is to actually screen information, to limit it, to reduce the ocean to a trickle. A trickle we can handle, barely. A little trickle. So... The whole idea of chachma, the whole idea of the conscious mind beginning with the creative moment, to us it seems like a burst of life, a burst of energy, a burst of awareness. The reality is, it's, it's a symptom, it's a contraction, it's all a letter yud, which is a dot. To have a revelation, there has to be this tremendous symptom, this tremendous contraction, this tremendous screening of this infinite ocean and to reduce it to a trickle. So what we consider revelation and the truth is, from a true perspective, it's a yud, it's a tzimtzum, it's a concealment. The classical, look, the classical understanding of this world of creation is that God's creativity, this world's an expression of God's creativity. Comes along the Arizona and says, no, this world is not about God's self-expression, God's creativity. You know what this world is about? God had to remove himself in order to create the world. In order for God to create Elokim, he had to conceal, he had to hide. Because God, is, his infinite presence would just overwhelm us. We just couldn't contain it, we couldn't handle it. God wanted to create a world which he calls Mamale a world which we can handle, we can receive, we can absorb. A world which is tailor-made and customized, where we can receive the energy. For God to put himself in the mode, so to speak, of teacher-student where the student contains the teacher and receives the teacher and the teacher encloses himself in the student. Like the soul and the body, the brain contains and receives the soul's ability to comprehend and the heart receives and contains the soul's ability to feel and the body receives and absorbs the soul. So much so you don't know where the soul ends and the body begins. The body, vice versa, and, and the body contains the soul, and the soul is shaped by the body. It's, it's a two-way street: the body-mind connection. Not only does the body soul affect the body; the body affects the soul. So, in order for God to enclose Himself, that it shouldn't be like electricity that just runs, and whatever receptacle you have doesn't matter to the electricity. If your refrigerator, or your light bulb, it's the same current. The, light, the electricity is not affected whether the fridge is on, the fridge is off, you're plugged in, you're not plugged in, what difference does it make? The electricity is just, is there. If you can receive it, benefit from it, fine. The sun is shining. If the windows are open and it lights up the room, mazel tov. If it's a palace, beautiful. If it's a garbage dump, what difference does it make? But God did not create the world that way. God created the world in a way, in he fills the world. He calls it Stahlschluss, where there's like a chain reaction. God enclothes himself, embodies himself, so to speak. Enclothes himself and defines defined himself, as divine energy is defined by each individual entity. It's custom made. It completely fits and is captured and is absorbed by this entity. This entity is a vessel and a vehicle for this particular divine energy. So there are infinite divine energies, which are customized in particular, and that's why each object in this world, in this universe, has a Hebrew name. The Hebrew names are the letters through which God channels His divine energy. It's particular, it's individual, it's specific, it's not just general. God shines, and everyone benefits accordingly. So, this you, this whole level, this is what we call Seder Stauselus, the ten Svirot, the different worlds, all of this begins with a yud. this, the ultimate contraction, for God to contract His infinite self, to be able to customize His divine energy and individualize it, that it should be captured and it should then clothe itself and should be defined and limited, so to speak, by that object and contained by that object. This is the ultimate act of Tzimtzum. Creation is the ultimate act of Tzimtzum. It's not self-expression. It's self-negation. God had to remove himself in order to be able to concentrate himself in this very limited life force. That's the revolution. That's the novelty we call mamale God encloses himself in the world. As the rabbis say clearly, just like the soul fills the body, the rabbis say God fills the world. In other words, God's energy, divine energy, fills the world the same way. Just like the body captures the soul. Just like the clothes contain whatever is unclothed in the clothes. The body captures the soul. The soul can't leave the body, take a walk, take a hike, you know. The body is not just a machine, it's like a, a refrigerator. You know, I can shut it off, I can turn it on, I turn it back on, shut it off. The electricity is there, so what's the big deal? The soul can leave, take a walk. I'll go into a different body for the day and then I'll come back. Why not? Because it doesn't work that way. The soul is captured by the body. It's enclosed in the body. The clothes contain whatever is enclosed in it. It captures it. It contains it. It has it. It's custom made. It's tailor made. And for the 120 years the soul is in the body. It's not going anywhere. Not for a split second. It's captured by the body. So too... God enclosed Himself in this world, in every particular level of this world. From the physical to the spiritual, to the higher realms of spirituality, to the higher levels of Gan Eden. Every world is a universe, it's its own unique receptacle, its own unique divine energy that creates the world, sustains that world. So so this all comes about through you. By us it's a revelation. For God it's a symptom, it's a contraction, it's a limitation, it's a concentration. So this is God's ability to be able to, so to speak, limit himself. Just like God has the ability to reveal himself, God has the ability to make tzimtzum, to to hide himself, conceal himself, to concentrate himself, channel himself. Through his letters, the divine letters, the Hebrew language, which is the divine letters, God channels the energy. And the energy is affected in the sense that the energy is now enclosed it's not like the current of electricity or the light of the sun, no. The energy becomes enclosed and embodied in that particular entity, in that particular world, that particular reality. So you have many, many divine energies which are customized to each individual. This can only come about through the symptom. Only God has that ability to limit himself and concentrate himself is infinite. That it should be, have all these particular energies, channel himself through all these words, Hebrew words, holy words and letters. And through the names, uh, the name of each entity, that's the channel that channels that particular divine energy. So that's what he calls mamaliklam. He's explaining why the difference? Why is it that in the Garden of Eden, all these souls that are parked in the Garden of Eden for thousands of years will have to come back down and be resurrected in order to achieve an upgrade, a higher level of revelation? Why is it that they cannot receive this revelation in the upper realms and they can only have to come back into this world and be resurrected in the physical body in order to be upgraded to a higher level of revelation? So he says because it's two different levels of revelation. The level of Gan is a revelation of the the way God enclothes himself in the world and fits into the world, and so to speak, and is channeled, is his energy into the world. And that creates not only the physical world, that creates the spiritual world. All the higher levels of consciousness and the levels of the angels and the levels of the soul and the higher levels in the world of ecstasy and the world of Gan all of that is included in the general classification of Olam Hazah, of this world. Because it's the way God fills all the worlds. And no matter how high you go, no matter how many levels of ascension, and every day the soul ascends, and three times a day, and especially on Shabbat and the yantiv, the soul is constantly experiencing growth. It's like a person who learns Torah. Every day you're learning something new. Every day you have a new breakthrough. Every day you have a new revelation. You have a new insight. And it's endless and it's infinite. We've been studying Torah for thousands of years. And it's endless and never stops. Imagine the levels that the soul achieves in the Garden of Eden. It's endless, infinite. And yet, no matter how high you reach, it's still, you're in the world of Mamalda Kalama. You're in the realm, the way God concentrates Himself, the way God encloses Himself. in, In the world. Versus in the ultimate reward, in the era of the resurrection, in the world to come, Refers to the time of resurrection when the soul is reunited and returned to the body. Then God will reveal his infinite self. Save of The way God transcends the world, which is like the light of the sun or the analogy of the electricity. This light, the sun is not here, it's not particular. The sun is just is. The sun is shining. And whatever effect it has is completely incidental to the sun. It doesn't matter to the sun. The shades are up, the shades are down. If it's lighting up a palace, illuminating or the Louvre, or it's, it's illuminating a garbage dump that they're building here on the east side. It doesn't matter. The sun is not, it's not particular, it's not limiting itself, defining itself. The sun is it is. And because it is, the sun has this tremendous effect on the world. But that all this effect is completely incidental to the sun. The sun completely transcends all of the, this impact and this effect. It's not limited. It's not defined. Yet. The electricity is generated. Electricity is there. You benefit. You don't benefit. The fridge is on. The fridge is off. The light bulb is in. The TV is plugged in. It doesn't affect the. It just the electricity is there. Whatever you plug in, whatever you benefit, you benefit. It's not defined by it. It's not limited by it. It's not enclosed by it. It's not captured by it. It's completely transcendent. So therefore, it's a whole different quality. It's a whole different level. It's a whole different revelation. It's Hashem revealing His Himself, His infinite Self, where He is undefined, where He is unlimited. So no matter how many thousands of years the soul is parked in the Garden of Eden, it can never ever achieve this revelation. It can only go from one level to the higher level to the next level, one level of mamalik the way God fills the world, to a higher level of of divine energy, to a higher level of divine revelation, to a higher level, but it's all limited. It's all under the category of mamalik God filling all the world comes from to God, is like a tzimtzum, it's a yud, it's one dot, it's a complete concentration, a complete limitation of God. Versus when Mashiach will come, after Mashiach comes, during the era of resurrection, there will be this intense revelation of God himself, of God's infinite self, undefined, unreve- unconcealed, no concealments, no contractions, no concentrations. God will re- be revealed and it will be completely unconcentrated. Of course, the, the, wicked want, the wicked will not be able to handle it. The wicked will be destroyed. Only the righteous ones, including the righteous Gentiles, they will merit to be able, be able. They'll be able to receive this intense revelation. It will be this intense revelation, which is more intense than all the revelations of all the spiritual realms put together. All the high, most highest level of consciousness and most sublime ecstasy and deepest meditations. None of that will be able to hold a candle to the most intense revelation of God's infinite self, which will be revealed only in this world, in the physical world, in the physical body, in the physical form, and the soul will be returned to the body.
0: In Gan Eden, it's manifestly comprehensible to each according to his measure. While the life force that emanates from Chachma is concealed from all other worlds, it's manifest in Gan Eden. But the souls there are able to comprehend the essence of divinity.
1: There's a difference between the soul before the soul entered into the bodies and the soul after it lived a full life. And then, in the afterlife, the soul graduates and the soul is able to enter into the garden of Eden. The soul before the soul is born, before the soul enters the body, the soul as it is, is in the spiritual realm. It's a whole different level of life. But it's only when the soul descends into this world and the soul leads the good life, Mm -hmm. studies Torah and does mitzvot, that this descent is in order to achieve a tremendous ascent. It's not that the soul just returns to its original place. And what would be the point? Why go through this trauma? Why go through all this traumatic experience? just in order that the soul should go back to its original space. You don't destroy a building just to rebuild the exact same building. You destroy a building because you're renovating it. You're building something bigger and better. So why would God send the soul from the peak to the abyss to this roller coaster ride, which is so risky and so dangerous? Because many people don't make it. Many people go through life and they make bad investments and they make terrible choices and the soul is traumatized and the soul is harmed. And why would God risk everything in order for the soul to come into this world? And the answer is because the gains are exponentially beyond anything that the soul could possibly experience or achieve unless it comes into this world. Because by living the good life, doing the Torah, doing the mitzvah, you merit. You're elevated, you graduate to enter into the Garden of Eden. Because the Garden of Eden is a revelation of godliness that far surpasses anything, anything that the soul experiences in the pure spiritual state. Spirituality is not godliness. Let's not confuse godliness with spirituality. Only when the soul comes into this world and it does godly things. Mitzvah. Mitzvah is godly. Mitzvah are not just spiritual. Mitzvah are godly. When it studies Torah, Torah is not just uh, brilliant and spiritual. Torah is godly. And the soul, after living a life and, exp- and doing Torah and Mitzvah, then the soul is able to experience godliness, revelation of godliness, which is, comes from Chachma. Chachma is the window to the infinite. Chachma is the window to godliness, the creative that's the window to the subconscious just like within a human being so Chachma is the first revelation the first ray illumination communication of the infant and when that Chachma when the river flows from the Eden when the river and it turns into a river and it flows into the level of Bina the soul is able to grasp a godly concept and experience a godly concept and fully comprehend the godly concept this gives the soul indescribable bliss indescribable pleasure Indescribable ecstasy—that's the eternal reward of the soul for all its hard work and all its efforts and all the sacrifices and the good deeds in the Torah that the soul studied in this world. For example, what we're doing right now. So, then the soul merits a revelation of chachma, a revelation of chachma as it's um, as it's process through the level of Bidna This produces the Garden of Eden. A delight. And this is enough to feed the soul for thousands of years. For infinite amount of years. And every day there's a new revelation. But nevertheless, all of this comprehension is still within the realm of the world of Mammalik where the way God fills all the worlds. So even though there's a revelation, some godly revelation, a glimpse of the infinite, it's just a glimmer of a ray of the infinite. It's not the infinite itself. The soul cannot contain the infinite. The soul, as exalted as the soul is, the soul is finite. It's still a being, a sentient being. It's finite and limited. And whatever is finite and limited cannot possibly grasp anything that's infinite. Even if you're a zillion, you're not one of closer to infinity than one. You simply don't have the tools to contain the infinite. But within the frame of reference, within the framework of the world, of the finite, you get a glimpse of something infinite. You get a glimmer of a ray. And that's enough to sustain you and to give you delight and pleasure and and you can live off that and grow with that. And run with it for thousands of years. And from one level to the next level to the next level. That every bit of Torah is going to explain now. Every bit of Torah that you learned in this world. There are 3,000 levels to understand that bit of Torah that you learn. And each level in comparison to the other the, uh, the lower level is meaningless and insignificant in comparison to the higher level. There's so much depth It's like peeling away the onion. There's so many layers. Uh, The Russian doll, there's so many layers. You think you grasp it, you think you understood it. And you did. But then you reach a higher level and all of that falls by the side. That was so superficial, I didn't even begin to understand it. There's so so much depth to it. You take it to a whole different level. and And then the next level, and then the next level, and it's ad infinitum. It goes on and on. It's infinite. But all of this is within the world of Mamala We'll continue.
0: Or, as is known, the delight of the souls in Gan Eden derives from their apprehension of the secrets of the Torah in whose revealed dimensions they were engaged in this world, so that what was secret in this world is revealed in Gan Eden, as is discussed in the sacred Zohar, Parshat the Shlach. So it speaks there about the various heavenly academies, such as Moses' academy and the heavenly academy, and so too an academy in which Miriam teaches righteous women.
1: There are academies in yeshivas. And based on your level that you've achieved in this world, accordingly, that's the academy you're going to be admitted to after 120 years. Whatever level you've learned, whatever level you've achieved, that's, that's the academy. So the, the different academies are different levels of, of wisdom and knowledge. As it says, it says King Solomon, the most brilliant man that ever lived, was able to explain everything, every idea in Torah. He had three thousand parables to explain every idea in the Torah. Now, what does that mean? Talmud doesn't just mean that King Solomon had a great repertoire of parables. You know, like a comedian has a great repertoire of jokes. He knew three thousand jokes. His mind was so great that he can. His mind was able to remember, uh, you know, three thousand parables. That's not what the Torah means. The Torah means something much deeper than that. Just like a parable. A parable, there's the parable and then there's the moral of the story. The parable is just a shell that contains and hints at something much, much deeper. But you're explaining it in a parable in a simple language that anyone could grasp. And through the parable you can communicate a very profound concept that would be way over the head of the person you're trying to communicate it, but you you give him a parable of a donkey and an axe and a goat and a sheep, Ah, this he can relate to. And when he gets the parable, suddenly he's able to understand the moral of the story, the deeper idea. And the parable is custom made to the moral of the story. So, So this is what the Talmud means. Talmud means that King Solomon was able to take the surface understanding of the Torah and understand that everything in the Torah is a parable. And it contains something much deeper. The Torah is a Torah of life. Everything in the Torah is here to teach me how to live. Even when I'm studying complex laws, laws which are seemingly irrelevant, purity and impurity, or some complex laws of tenant... Uh, landlord (laughs) dispute or any issue in the Torah, whether it's financial, whether it's agricultural, whether it's whatever it is. You think it's just an abstract law, physical, material law, technical law, and I could be very proficient in the technicalities of the law and the mechanics of the law, and I can be brilliant and a Talmudic legalist. And that's it. That's the beginning and the middle and the end. There's no soul. There's no depth this is it, it's a law, it's a mechanical, it's dry, it's cut and dry. And primarily, first and foremost, yes, you have to understand it, you have to learn it in its most simple and literal sense. But once you finish learning it in the most literal and physical sense, you always have to realize everything in Torah is a parable. Torah is a Torah of life. This is the story of my life. It's not just tenant, landlord, pure, impure, uh, leper, I'm not a leper, why am I learning about mitzvot that overwhelm me more than half of mitzvot not relevant today. Everything in Torah is relevant. Every story, every letter, every mitzvah, every technical law, every dispute, everything is a profound moral lesson in life that's contained. It's like a parable. This parable, this law, and this legalese, and this complex legalese, and all the different opinions. It's a parable of life, my life, my personal life. Shlomo, King Solomon, was the most brilliant man that ever lived. He was able to see in every word in the Torah, in every letter in the Torah, every story in the Torah, every mitzvah in the Torah, is able to see the application to life. And therefore, the Torah comes alive to you. It's not just I'm an encyclopedia and I have a brilliant mind and I have a brilliant legal mind and, and I know... Dry facts, thousands and millions of irrelevant dry facts that really have no connection to life. That's a dead type of learning. That's a dead type of person, a person who's not alive, a person who's soulless, heartless, joyless, passionless. This is, this is a mechanic. This is a technocrat. This is a, a brilliant disk, a brilliant computer. But this is not a human being. It's not a live human being. King Solomon. Every word, Every word in the Torah breathed life. He was able to see. The moral of everything that the Torah teaches makes it come alive, personalize. And that was only step one. He was able to go 3,000 levels. Because then there's a deeper level and a deeper lesson. And then you take it to a deeper level and a deeper lesson. This is the brilliance of King Solomon. The wisest man that ever. In this world, we're engaged and occupied in the legalese and studying the body of the Torah, the mechanics of the Torah, the code of Jewish law, and the Talmud, and and we know and we have to learn it honestly and in depth and understand it very well in all its legal its legal format. But in the soul, after one hundred and twenty years, you think the soul is studying about a lord, a tenant,
0: <laughs>
1: landlord? There are no tenants in heaven. There's no landlords in heaven. A cow that Gordon lacks. There are no axes in heaven, there are no cows in heaven. And anyone who thinks that in heaven they're learning about a cow that's, that's a an axe, he himself is the cow and the axe. This is a soul, a pure spiritual being. In that realm, in that world, there are no axes and there are no cows. And all that discussion seems to be irrelevant. Unless you understand what a cow means and what an axe means. In the spiritual realm. And the Torah is talking about life. And all this intricate discussion is really talking about something spiritual. In a spiritual cow, in a spiritual ox. A spiritual landlord, a spiritual, whatever that means, spiritually and personally. And in real life. In real experience. And that translates into the physical cow. In this world, in our plane, this is projected, this truth, this, what the Torah is really talking about, is projected in this discussion of a physical cow and a physical ox, and discussion of a landlord, tenant, dispute, etc., and everything in the Torah. So every bit of Torah that you learn in this world, (laughs) what's the reward? In the Garden of Eden, you strip away the external, the parable, and now I'm able to see the moral of the story. Then it comes alive. Imagine how much pleasure it gives you. When you're finally able to get the moral of the parable, the depth. The insight that the parable enables you to understand, it gives you such pleasure. Now I get it. Now I understand what you're really talking about. And then you go to the next level. And then you're elevated and then graduate and you transcend to, the, to a different academy, to a higher academy where they see things a lot deeper and they understand things a lot deeper. This academy is level number one, basics. Spirituality 101. And then you have a deeper academy. And then to get to academy, this academy, could be academy number 1,000. Different levels. But you have to be fit, you have to be worthy, you have to be ready. And the difference between, just like the difference between physically learning on the most basic, simple level, in the physical sense, and understanding the moral of a story, how this plays out and what this means in the spiritual dimension, which the, the, the pleasure and the delight that it gives you having this insight and personalizing it and coming alive, it's indescribable. So too, to graduate between level 1 and to level 2 is just as equally as, as dramatic and exciting and thrilling and uh, understanding, gaining a whole new understanding. And this goes on and on. Every day, the souls are busy and engaged and studying Torah and going from one academy to the next and advancing and learning and growing in depth. It's a very dynamic life of there. As the rabbis say, at the end of the Mishnah, the tzaddikim have no rest. They're busy. Very active life. They're not doing mitzvah. That they don't have. As we discussed last week, Mitzvot are in this world. And it's the mitzvah that lead to the resurrection, the ultimate reward. But learning Torah, this, is, this leads to the Garden of Eden. And depending how much Torah you learned in this world, that's, how many, that's which academy you're going to have the merit to enter into the next world and advance from one level to the next level, to a higher level. As the Gemara says, he says now, and this is in the Gemara, the story in Babi Metzia, the famous classical story in Babi Metzia, with reference to the incident involving Rabbi Bar-Nachemeni. The Talmud says it was an argument between the Masifta, the Rekiyah, between the Academy of Heaven and God himself. This is a halachic argument we just read in the Torah about the laws of leprosy which we loosely translate as leprosy really has nothing to do with leprosy when the the skin is discolored and turns white so the law states if a person has a patch of white skin the skin turns white and then the hair that was black turns white first the the skin turned white and as a result of the skin turning white and being discolored either intense snow white or or the white of of an egg, or the white of of a sheep, the fur of a sheep, which is white, or the lowest level of white, which is like plaster. So if the skin became discolored and turned white, at least, minimum, like the white of a plaster, and then the hair inside that patch of white, the black hair turned white, then the person is considered a leper. You have to bring him to the Kohen, the Kohen has to seclude him, He has to check, locks him up for seven days, then he has to check if it spread, and then, depending on what happens, if it spreads, then he declares him certainly a leper, and then he has to go through, uh, he has to heal, he has to be completely expelled from the community, and and then he heals, and then he goes through a purification process. So that's the law, very clearly. If the hair was white first, and then the skin was discolored, He's not a leper. It's only if the skin was discolored first, and then the black hair turned into white, then he becomes a leper. The question in the Academy of Heaven was, what if we are in doubt? We're not sure. We don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. We didn't pay attention. What came first? Did the white hair come first? Or did the skin discoloration come? So we have an argument between the Academy of Heaven and God, and himself, God himself. God says he's pure. In that case, he's not considered a leper. And the rabbis say, no, he's impure. It's a doubt. We know in general, whenever there's a biblical doubt, we're strict. So there's a biblical law, it's leprosy, and we're in doubt, You have to be strict, and we consider him impure. So we have this argument between Kudosh, Kudosh, two different perspectives: God's point of view and the Academy of Heaven's point of view. God's point of view, which is Hakadosh Baruch, God is transcendent. So God's infinite transcendence of has one perspective. The rabbis are know God's opinion. Because in the Garden of Eden, as we just read, they get a glimpse, a glimmer glimmer of a ray of the infinite. So they know God's opinion, but they don't comprehend it. They can't comprehend God's infinite self. They don't have the tools to comprehend God's infinite self. So from a finite, limited perspective, the Academy of Heaven, the spiritual realm, the Academy of Heaven, from their point of view, have been studying Torah. Their point of view, from a finite, limited point of view, a person is impure. From God's infinite perspective, no, a person is pure. Why? Aren't the rabbis right? Whenever we're in doubt, the law states, if it's a biblical doubt, we have to be strict. Yes, but the laws of impurity, the laws of leprosy are different than the laws of impurity. Because the laws of impurity are very objective. A person comes in contact with a corpse, you become impure. It doesn't matter if you're getting married, doesn't matter if it's a holiday, it's a fact I ate the poison. Well, I'm sorry, it's not convenient. I'm in the middle of getting married. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's an objective reality. You are pure, you are impure. Comes the laws of, of, of leprosy is a unique law. You don't become impure until the kohen declares you impure. So if the Torah says if it's you're getting married, we push the Cohen off. Or it's a holiday, we say, you know what, wait till after Pesach. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wait till after Pesach, then you'll look clear and impure. What, what, what do you mean, wait till after Pesach? Wait till he's getting married. Is impure? He's <laughs> not impure. His skin is discolored or not? So you see that this impurity is different than any other impurity. Now is not the time to get into it. Al-Turabi explains it with great length. It's, it's unbelievable. al Terebi explains this argument. But, so from God's point of view, in this case, since this impurity is not like any other impurity, in this case, you're in doubt we consider impure. The rabbis, from the academy of heaven, from a, a mamalik alman point of view, it's a genuine point of view, the way God limited himself and the way God creates and embodies himself, so to speak, and encloses himself in the worlds, from that perspective, a person should be impure. So we have this clash, this conflict. There's a godly perspective, an infinite perspective, and then there's a limited perspective. And they're both Genuine. It's the same God. God is, is, is himself, his infinite self, but God also has the ability to contract himself. And from that point of view, the academy insists that the Torah states that he should be empty. So the rabbis, so, the, so, so the God says, so what do we do? We're an impasse. We have an argument. Who's going to give the verdict? Who's right? Who's the halacha? Who's Allah halacha going to follow? They're both right, but who's Allah? halacha? We have to come up with Allah. So they said, Rabbi Bar Nachmeni, he is going to give the verdict. Because Rabbi Bar Nachmeni was unique. He was the biggest rabbi and the biggest halachic authority on the rules and the laws, the complex laws of the Goyim, of, uh, of these impurities, of, of, of the leper and all The laws of purity and impurity. So they asked Rabbi Bar Nachmani, And Rabbi Bar Nachmeni then was running away for his life and, and right before he expired, they asked him, so who's right? Is God right? Or the academy? Was, who's the Allah follow? God or the academy of heaven? And he said, Toher. He said, pure. God is right. Now who do you think the Allah follows? My man says, the law is not like Rabbi Benacharim. The law is like the academy of heaven. He's impure. But Rabbi Benachmenei gave the verdict. The Torah is not in heaven. The Torah is whatever the rabbis mm-hmm. say in this world. The answer is he said it. He said her, and he died. So therefore when he said it, he was, already, he was already like dead. He was already no longer part of this world. So whatever verdict he said doesn't have that same Allahic authority. So my Maimonides feels in this case we don't follow We follow the opinion of the rabbis, the majority, who disagreed, who said impure. There are others who say no, that we follow the opinion of Rabbi Barachmeni, pure. We follow God's opinion. Because even though Torah, either he said it right before he died, or because even though in general we don't follow Torah as in heaven, but in this case, even though he said it when he died, since God is also on the side, so in this case, we, we do follow his opinion and his Torah. But what do we see from this? We see that there is the level, there are the academies in heaven. This is the Garden of Eden. And there is that level of mamalakalam. There's a level, the way the Torah enclothes itself into the realities of our life and to the realities of the world. And the Torah speaks to us and speaks to our realities and, and we grasp it and we understand it and we
0: internalize it. So this is the level of a malaka. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com